Whoa! <laughs> That's kind of kind of nobody got scared on that one, did you? That's just Brian and and Brian and Jamie. Uh, just a couple things before we start the message this morning. I want to introduce some people to you. Uh, first of all, we have some uh, new members, and so we have Annette. If you go ahead and, and stand, and then Jamie's in the back, and you get to stand. And then uh, Jamie's husband, Brian, he works Sunday mornings, so he can't be here, unfortunately, but uh, these three have come into membership, and so let's just give him a hand for that. There you go. Okay. And you can go ahead and sit down. And again, just as a reminder, membership is just basically saying, you know, we're on board with what you guys are doing. We want to team up with you and be a part of that and be a part of it in serving, be a part of it in giving, attending, um, and being a part of what we're doing and what God's doing uh, through us. And also, I uh, want to introduce AJ and Marissa Lewis. They're down here in front. You may or may not stand. It's up to you. AJ, why don't you stand, since your wife is taking care of the child there. So give him a hand, because he's AJ. So you go ahead and sit. So AJ is a pastoral resident down at, uh, in Fremont, and then he's also going to be helping us up here with Fuse. And so he's here for that, to get things kicked off tonight at 5 o'clock. So... Um, Again, I know we've had some people attend who had youth, and since we didn't have something for youth, um, they went elsewhere, and so we were saying, okay, we need to get rolling on this whole youth thing, uh, and so they brought in AJ as a resident, and he's going, he actually has youth ministry experience, uh, but wanted to come up here, uh, families up this way, and um, so he's, he's helping out in that way. So be praying for them and for the youth ministry as that gets kicked off. Um, and just one other thought. Um, I had this in my notes and I took it out, but I'm going to put it back in. You know, it takes, um, it takes special people to do what we're trying to do at Grace Point Church. Um, it takes special people to, basically what we're doing is revitalizing a church. And, and so I just want to just thank each one of you, and like I said, I know we have a lot of people out today, so maybe I should wait until they're back, but I just want to thank you guys for being uh, so faithful to Grace Point, supporting what we're doing, and again, financially, when we give, it's not, you're not supporting the church, you're, we're pooling our finances to do what God has called us to do together as the church, um, and so you guys being here, being a part of this, helping us out, serving, um, you know, we had the brainstorm and barbecue and coming up with ideas and that kind of stuff. It's just, it's so helpful. It's, it's so encouraging. I just want to thank you guys for that. Well, go ahead and, and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. As we continue on with our series, this explains everything. It's page 1 in the Pew Bible, if you're using that. Uh, and last week, we started answering uh, two of the four foundational questions um, of life. And pretty much everybody wonders these four things. The first one is, how did we get here? And we talked about that and the fact that we have a challenge before us. Every human has a challenge. And, and they have to decide where do they believe they came from. And as we looked at that, you have to believe something pre-existed, what we see today. So some believe that there was pre-existing gases that exploded, Big Bang, evolution, and we talked about the ramifications if you believe that and how the world today is a little schizophrenic with that because how they're trying to live is not at all how evolution would have them live in some cases. Or you believe in a pre-existing God, and in our case we believe it's the God of the Bible, 
who created us for a purpose, which we'll talk about and we've been talking about. Or, <laughs> we kind of laughed about it, but it's true, you believe there are pre-existing aliens who, you know, seeded this world with human beings and that uh, were created by them. And again, Stephen Hawking is, is one of the guys who was a big proponent of that. But you have to decide, and as you're talking with people in your life and you you talk about, hey, where do you think we came from? The challenge for them and, and for us is you have to decide, and whatever you decide, you're betting your life on it. And so it's important for people to truly uh, research it, thoroughly research it, and understand and come to an answer. We started answering the second question, what are we doing here? And we learned the fact that we were created, God created us in his image or, or like him. And the ultimate purpose was, for us to know him personally, not just know information about him, but know him personally as a personal God. And he wants us to know him. He doesn't make it difficult. It's very easy. He tells us that, first of all, uh, what we need to know about him is found in creation. We can find out about his invisible attributes through looking at creation. He's given us the Bible, and in the Bible he explains who he is and how he's operated over the years and what he expects and what he desires and his love for us and all kinds of stuff. Then he put on flesh. God the Son came to earth as Jesus Christ and lived out this life in a perfect way, died on the cross for us, and then also through God the Holy Spirit who, for those who put their faith in Christ, lives in us, empowers us, and teaches us. But then also in this idea of being created in his image or being like him, it means that we have the attributes of personhood, that we can think and that we can feel, uh, that we can make choices. We can do the things on an earthly level that God does. And because of that, we're uniquely designed and able to have a relationship with God unlike any of the creation. With that, that we uh, are created to manage and to be stewards or managers of what he's given us. And then the idea of representing him, that we represent God as we manage this world, as we care for this world, as we exercise dominion, as Scripture says, and, and as we subdue it, that we would represent who God is. To, first of all, our, for those that are married, to our wives, those who have kids, to our kids, and then to everybody else. Well, this week we want to continue... Uh, answering that question of what are, what are we doing here, we're looking at three more ways in Genesis 2 that we're made in his image. Because again, being made in his image gives us an ability to kind of understand how God thinks and how he feels and the frustrations. You know, us raising kids, we can kind of get a, a feel for how frustrating it is for God to raise us in that sense. And so there's three other ways that we're going to look at. And then next week, we're going to look at why are we so messed up and, and can it be fixed? But before I do that, I want to give you a little bit of a backstory because I think this is important, especially as we go through Genesis uh, 2, that the first five books of the Old Testament were written by Moses. And he was writing it when Israel was wandering in the desert. So Israel is, is freed from Egypt, their captivity in Egypt. They move on out to go to Mount Sinai. Then they're going to move from Mount Sinai and go into the land. But when they get to the land, they get scared. And they, they, they fail to trust God's promise of this incredible land filled with milk and honey that would be able to supply all their needs if they are willing to trust God and go into the land 
and accomplish taking over the land according to God's plan, but they were, they were afraid. And so they rejected that. They decided, I'm not, we're not going to trust God's plan. And that caused God then to discipline them, and that generation was going to walk in the wand, wander in the desert for 40 years. So it's during that time that Moses is writing those five books, but also, obviously, Genesis 1 through 3. And he's writing them, so obviously for us too, but for Israel and for the next generation to understand who is this God who has initiated a personal relationship with you? Who is this God who says, hey, trust me, I'll give you a land that has, will meet all of your needs? And if you fail to do that like your, the older generation did, this is the ramifications. This is what happens God judges sin. God doesn't follow through on his promise of giving them the land, obviously. And, and there's so many similarities between here. So, for instance, God initiated a relationship with Adam and Eve by creating them, right? God initiated a relationship with Israel by when they were at Mount Sinai. God said, hey, I'm the one who miraculously freed you from captivity and I want to be your personal God. He gave himself a personal name. I want to be your personal God. Israel as a whole said, we want to follow you. We want you as a personal God. And God said, because you've accepted me as your God, here's what I need you to do. You need to trust me and live life this way. And the same thing is for us. He's initiated a relationship with us by Christ coming to earth, dying on the cross, ready to free us from the captivity of sin, and he's initiated the possibility of having a relationship with him. And just like he provided a beautiful place for Adam and Eve to live, and just like he, was, he would provide a place, a beautiful place, for Adam or for Israel to live, he's offering to provide a place, a beautiful place, a perfect place for us to live if we're willing to trust him, if we're willing to say his plan is the way that I'm going to, to go. So I'm going to break up. So that's kind of leading into what we're talking about today because I think it's important to understand that as we talk through these last three things that were made um, in his image or, or like him. And I'm going to break these up into three paragraphs as we do that. So let me put on the old spectacles here. This is, I only wear them because that makes me look more intelligent. Thank you. <laughs> at least one of you think I am. The rest of you laughed at me. All right. So we're going to read verses 1 through 3 and see the first way. And this, we love this one, by the way. I think everyone pretty much loves this one. It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God... Flipping my page. Blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. And so this is a cool one. I, I really appreciate God coming up with this one. So in God's sovereignty and us being made in his image, he gave us a day off. Yeah? <laughs> Am I saying? Isn't that great? God wants us to take a day off from our work. I love that. How many of you guys actually take a day off? Like literally 
stop doing what you would normally do for a living. Wow, see, you guys, God's talking to you. He's telling you. So when it says that God rested, it doesn't mean that he was resting to gain energy. Okay, God's perfect. God's all-powerful. He never needs to rest. He's got it all taken care of. What it means, that word means, is that he ceased from working. He ceased creating. He stopped doing something. And, and, and then he took, kind of a, if, if God could take a step back, speaking human terms, takes, took a step back, and he blessed it, and he sanctified it. In other words, he, he took that day, that seventh day, and he set it aside for his purposes, to, to appreciate the work that he had done, to look at all that he had done. And like he said, it, it's very good, he said. And for Adam, what that would mean is, because Adam didn't, as a perfect man, he, he didn't really get tired either, because he was perfect. And so he didn't get tired from walking around grabbing fruit off trees and eating it. That wasn't anything that was causing him you know, a lot of strain. But it was for him to take a day where he sat back and he appreciated all that God had given him, and he worshipped God for what God had done. For us today, and for Israel, of course, that they actually put that into their, their law, that they had to take that seventh day break, and a seventh year break, by the way. But for them and for us, it does has that, has that aspect of taking some, a break to be refreshed and renewed from our work. But it also carries that idea of taking a day away from what we do, from our work, and worshiping God and appreciating all that he's given us. God wants us to trust him, to take a day away from the work that we do. And I'm preaching to myself here, okay? Um, but he wants us to take a day away from what we normally do and to worship him and to appreciate all that he's given us. Now, some people will be like, well, I work on Sundays. You know, I'm a pastor. I work on Sundays. Some other people work on Sundays. Brian works on Sundays. What do they do? Well, according to Romans 14.5, Paul says, take another day. Find another day in the week where you can take a day off. So I take Monday off. I try to. I take Monday off, and I, I try to um, not do church-related things, and I, spend, I try to spend extra time in prayer and reading God's Word and worshiping Him that way. And then I usually go do something other, not related to what I do. It's usually something physical, and it's usually something to do with remodeling my house, um, which I'm not sure how energizing that can be at times. But um, So anyway, so that's the first way that we are like him, that we get to have a day off during our week that God wants us to take a day off and set the precedent for that by he himself taking the day off. And again, to worship him and to appreciate him. The second way we're to be like him is found in verses 4 through 17. So this is the larger section here. So let me go ahead and read those for you. 4 through 17. And uh, this is kind of cool uh, information here. It says this, This is the account of the heavens and earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now you might be, oh, we just, we just got done reading that in Genesis chapter 1. So why is he restating? Well, I'll answer that as we go along. Now, no shrub of the field was yet in the earth. No plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. 
But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Which, by the way, another interesting thing, the way the Lord has this written, is that man was taken from the ground. So anybody who claims, and for Israel's sake, Pharaoh was claiming to be God. For any man to claim that he is God is a false claim because man was created out of the ground. What makes him different than all other creation, though, is that God breathed into him the breath of life, made him a living spiritual being. God didn't breathe into dogs the breath of life. Sorry. God didn't, certainly didn't breathe into cats. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, I don't want to be any biased here about it, cats, but... It's coyote bait. But anyways, um, he didn't breathe into cows. He didn't, he didn't breathe into any other being but humans, the breath of life, that they became, we became, a spiritual being. All right, moving on. Then the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in an area called Eden. So that the garden is not called Eden. There's an area called Eden that the garden is in. And they replaced the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also was in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. So Adam didn't need to water the garden. Isn't that wonderful? Wouldn't he love to be able to do that rather than stand out there with a hose and look like, you know, you look silly, right? Adam didn't have to do that. And from there, it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is uh, Pishon, I guess. It flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. There is Delium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. Now, again, just for knowledge's sake, a little FYI, you, can't, you can find two of those rivers, but you can't find two those other two rivers on the map. Why? The flood happened. Okay, so we don't know where these four rivers really were. Some other ones were named similar, but it's not necessarily the same one. So you can't follow them up and go, oh, there's Eden. Um, so just FYI. And impress your friends and family with that one. Verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Any tree of the garden, any single one of them. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day, in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So a second way that we are like God is that we have the ability to choose. So animals, they do what they do because God has made that made them that way. And you can get animals to do some things here and there, but God's made them that way to be trained to do certain things and bred certain ways. But man is like God in the sense that we can make choices. Now, these verses, like I said, they're not recounting Genesis chapter 1. These verses are being used for a different purpose. And if you read through it, you'll notice a lot of the things that he describes about the garden or the earth, 
is stuff that would make more sense after the fall. Like he talks about rain hadn't come on the earth yet. Well, Adam didn't know what rain was because rain didn't happen until, really, until the flood, right? So what, what his purpose is, Moses' purpose here is 2.4 through 4.26. He's answering the question for Israel and for us, well, how did this mess happen? Why are we all screwed up? And why do we constantly choose to go against what God had for us? And so he's laying out for us how that happened. And four, uh, 2, 4 through 17, he's laying out for us that idea of this choice that we have, that all men have when it comes to God. And he's also setting up the fact that this garden, not just, you know, it was perfect. And so we hear that a lot. Okay, it was perfect. It was perfect. It had everything that Adam and then eventually Eve could ever want. They didn't have to work for any food. They just literally walked around and they plucked food, fruit, unfortunately. You know, it could have been a nice steak, would have been better. But anyways, take a fruit and just and eat it. And, and really, they were perfect, so they didn't get hungry. So that was just pure enjoyment. What a sweet fruit. I'm going to try this fruit today. Oh, man, that was just, wow, that's, let's try this fruit today. It was no work. Nothing rotted. Nothing fell off the trees. They didn't have to scoop up like we got at our house these apples that are just rotten, and there's flies, and we got to go over with the mower, and it's all over the place. Then nothing. They didn't have to mow. Too bad they didn't get a John Deere like I got. But anyways, they didn't mow. This was perfect. And all Adam and eventually Eve would have to do would, would be just do things the way God said to do it. Don't think you know better than God. And therein lies the choice. Because here's the deal with God. He understands that for a relationship to be truly a relationship, you can't force people into a relationship. That's called captivity. That's called enslavement. That's called abuse. And God will never force himself on us. He'll never force us into a relationship. He hasn't made us into robots where we automatically, warning Will Robinson, warning that we just, you know, for some of you guys that are younger, that's lost in space, the original. But anyways, you know, God doesn't force himself. He made a choice. And his choice was, I'm going to create mankind because I want to have a relationship with them. I don't need to have a relationship with them, but I want to have a relationship with them because I want them to know the greatest thing that ever existed. Me. And then he says, now I want man to choose whether they're going to want me or not. So he lays out this choice. And he says, I've given you everything you could possibly want. And you can have it for your enjoyment. It was pleasing to the eyes. It was wonderful to taste. But there's one tree. One tree. Don't eat of it. One tree. Of all the trees out there, don't eat that one tree. Because if you do, you'll know and understand both good, because you know it, and what evil is. Because you'll actually do it. You'll commit evil. You'll go against 
what God has laid out. So the choice for us is laid out in verse 15 through 17. So let me read those again, because it's important. And we're going to break these verses down this morning, quickly anyways, as quickly as we can. So verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. So he's got a job to do. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat. Or eat freely. Any tree. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And what he means by that is not just they'll end up dying physically, but they'll become spiritually dead. And unable to have that relationship with God unless he does something. So, let me break this down for you, because the English doesn't capture what the Hebrew is teaching. If you look back in verse 8, God says that the Lord God planted a garden, and he placed man in the garden. That word placed is just a, a general term for putting something somewhere, placing something somewhere. So, you know, Jordan placed this here. It's nothing special about that spot. It was just a spot that he chose, and that's where he put it. Okay? But in verse 15, when he restates, has Moses restate what he had just stated in verse 8, he says that he put him in the garden. Now you might be thinking, okay, Harold, you're starting to get a little bit word picky. Not getting word picky, the Hebrew screams this. Okay, The word put there is only used two ways in the Old Testament. When you put something somewhere, it's either being put there for God's protection and provision, and or, because it can go together, being put somewhere in front of God, being dedicated to God, in a position of worship, in other words, a, a position of a special place before God. Then it says that Adam's responsibility was to cultivate and keep it. Those words, so cultivate means hedge about or guard. Keep it means serve or till, you know, tilling up the ground. But that doesn't make sense that Adam would be responsible to do that to the garden because the garden was perfect and didn't need to be guarded from anything. Right? And it didn't need to be tilled. Because that means tilling up bad soil to make it fresh and good again. It, the garden didn't need it because it was perfect. So what is God saying to Adam? What is he saying to Israel? What is he saying to us? I'm going to read it. If Adam would guard and protect creation by remaining dedicated to God's way of doing life, Lost my place. God would protect and provide for them, them being the garden, Adam and Eve, as long as they trusted that God's way was better than theirs. God's way was, enjoy everything I've given you. All the wonderful fruit. Enjoy it. Eat it up. Have a great time. Worship me. Enjoy the relationship with me. Man's way which we'll find out next week, was, I'm not sure if God's way is the best way. I'm not sure if having all of this over here is really, I think he might be holding something back from us. I think 
God has something more that he could be sharing. And so I'm going to start thinking about things how I think it should be done. And therein lies the choice, and you're going to come back next week or read ahead to Genesis 3 to see what their choice was. I think we can kind of know what it was. But as Moses wrote, the next generation for Israel, they were going to have to make a choice. Because God was going to bring them back to the promised land and say, okay, 40 years is gone, that generation has gone. What are you guys going to do? Do you want all that I have promised you in the land of Israel? And will you do it my way? Or will you go, hmm, I don't know. Maybe the desert was even better. Or, I don't know, maybe going back to Egypt like our parents wanted to do, that was better. We look back on it now and we're like, crazy? What do you think you're doing? Well, they made the right choice and they went in and then they had some issues, right? And the same is for us. God's saying, I'm going to give you heaven. That's even better than the garden. I'm going to give you heaven. You just need to trust me and my plan for making it happen. Will you do that? The offer of relationship is there, as well as an incredible land that we get to go to one day. And God's saying, I've got it taken care of. I've got it so you can get there. Will you? And so, like God, we have a choice to make. Your friends, family, coworkers, Schoolmates have a choice to make. So, like God, we've been given a day set aside that we can rest and worship Him and appreciate all He's given us. Like God, we have a choice to make as to whether He wants a relationship with us. He doesn't need it, but He'd like to have one. Will we make the choice to have a relationship with Him? And then the last one, out of verses 18 through 25, is that God gives man, mankind in general, the opportunity to experience relational intimacy similar to what he has within the Godhead. Verse 18, Then the Lord God said, Of everything that was good, this one thing is not good. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to man to see what he would call them. So God allowed Adam to name a lot. You can have some fun with that, you know, why the platypus, you know, that kind of thing. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. Then man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the animals, male and female, every male had a female and they were suitable. But there is man and no one, no creation suitable. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs, one of Adam's ribs, closed up the flesh at that place, The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from man and brought her to the man. And the man said, Whoa, man! 
That's how we get the name woman. Woe, woe man. Oh my word, you guys. So, <laughs> no tomatoes. Anyways. So the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She should be called woe man because she was taken out of man. For this reason, for this reason, the fact that she was taken from man, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So we can have relational intimacy similar to what God has. Of course, not as intimate as God because he's perfect. But within the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there is relational intimacy, perfect intimacy, working together, helping each other, accomplishing what God wants to do in this world. And what he's saying is that man can have that, but man can't have that by himself because we're not God. Man needs someone like him to accomplish that, to help him accomplish that relational intimacy that God wants for us to have, that God wants us to experience. And if you look through this, this passage, these verses scream intimacy. For instance, verse 18, not good for a man to be alone, needed a helper, a helper suitable, someone who's going to help him experience intimacy. Verse 21, created a woman out of Adam's Eve and flesh. So it wasn't that he created something else out of the dust. He created Eve out of man's side. I mean, you talk about intimacy. Talk about giving yourself to a woman, you want to put it that way. God had Adam do that. Man is to leave his parents and be joined to become one flesh with his wife. One flesh, relational intimacy. And then naked but not ashamed, completely other-focused. They were, they were perfect, of course, but in their perfection, they didn't need to put clothes on because they weren't worried about themselves. They, they were focused on each other, completely other-focused and enjoying each other for who God had made them to be. It's crazy. So let me just give you some thoughts on this. First of all, because this could be a, several weeks of messages. First of all, intimacy in a marriage starts with the husband. And the wife helps him accomplish it. You want to have spiritual or you want to have uh, relational intimacy in your marriage. If you're single and you're looking towards marriage and you're saying, yeah, I want to have the best marriage possible. I want a marriage that God wants me to have. Men, it starts with us. Whether we like it or not, God has an order. And in his order, he created man first, males first. And when he creates something first, that first and the first male especially is the one who is responsible for who's ever under him or was ever around him. So throughout the Old Testament, the firstborn son was responsible for the family when the father passed away. He became responsible. He had all legal responsibility. He had all the responsibility in the world for the family, including his own siblings and his family and all that. So man is created first. 
Then God speaks to Adam and says, you leave your father and mother, you be joined to your wife. You become one flesh with her. Men, we have to lead in that. And that one flesh being joined to and that one flesh has everything to do with intimacy, spiritually, sexually, physically, emotionally, and mentally. It's joining two separate people and making them one. And it falls on us, guys. If you try to hand it off to your wife, God's not happy with it. Your wife ain't happy with it. Okay? That's on us. That's our responsibility. And like I've always said, every time we talk about marriage, if you're like, well, I'm not really sure, email me, text me, call me, whatever. Let's sit down and let's have some coffee you can buy, and we'll talk about it. Okay? I don't charge other than that, right? So, I mean, okay, okay, fine. Buy me lunch and we'll talk about it. Yes. But we can have and experience relational intimacy, even though we're sinners now. We can have that. But men, we initiated. Ladies, wives, you need to help your husband with that. So when he's attempting and making that awkward attempt to be intimate with you, you got to go, hmm, that's so sweet of him. Not, I can't believe you're finally doing it. After all these years, you can't do that. you got to go, oh, yes, yes. And you just reel him in because he's doing, trying to do what God's called him to do. And let me just say one more thing about submission. And we talked about this in 1 Timothy, but I think it's important to restate it. That there is submission within the Godhead. So God's not asking us. So when we talk about men are to lead and initiate, that means women are to willingly come under the authority of their husbands. That's how Scripture talks about submission. Willingly come under his authority. So as I've come under Christ's authority as a follower of God, and as Kim has come under Christ's authority as a follower of God, then both of us do what God has called us to do because we're under his authority. Part of that is for Kim to come under my authority, but my responsibility is to lead and to do that well. And being a leader is more than just me telling everybody what to do. That's not necessarily a leader. A leader is somebody who knows the strengths and weaknesses of those who are with him and delegates as necessary to accomplish what it is that God's called us to do. That's what a leader does. That's what initiating does. But in the Godhead, there is submission. God commanded, God told God the Son, so God the Father tells God the Son to go to earth, take on flesh, and to die on the cross. God the Son willingly comes under the authority of God the Father and dies on the cross. Then God the Son, when he leaves... Both he and God the Father tell God the Holy Spirit to go to earth and indwell those who are followers of Christ. And not only that, but God the Son would tell God the Holy Spirit what it was he was supposed to teach. So God the Holy Spirit would only teach what God the Son told him. And so there's submission in there to accomplish God's plan, God's mission. And so it is within our marriages. 
within our churches, within our marriages, and how God has played it out. So rubber meets the road. Is God's way better than our way in these three areas? Are you willing to take a day off sometime during the week and spend it worshiping God and appreciating what God has given you? Sunday or some other day if you work on Sundays. Or are you thinking, boy, if I do that, then this isn't going to get done, that's not going to get done, this isn't going to get done, that's not going to get done, this is... Whose way is better, yours or God's? You have to trust them. By the way, science says taking a day off is really good for your own self. So science is even backing up God. So if science is a big thing to you, think about it. Secondly, will you choose to do life God's way and experience his provision and protection in your life or are you going to do life your way? So if you're a follower of Christ, are you willing to do life as God tells you to because he's promised to provide and protect and fight for you if you do? Or are you going to do life your way in whatever area it is? And if you're not a follower of Christ, will you choose to have a relationship with him that he says if you do that, you can spend eternity in heaven, or are you going to come up with a different way for how you should get to heaven? And I know there's a lot of religions out there telling you how you can get to heaven. What I'm encouraging you to do is read what God says in the Bible, because that's what everybody says they're teaching from, right? Christians anyways. So let God speak for himself. We'll talk more about that next week. And the last one is this. If you want intimacy in your marriage, are you willing to do it God's way? Are you willing, men, to initiate being joined to your wife and becoming one with her? And women, wives, are you willing to help him do that. It, relational intimacy only happens in marriage, by the way. Okay? So again, a little different than what the world's telling us. And so in that marriage, are you willing to do it that way, or are you continue to do it the way you think you should be doing it? That's a choice you have to make. That's rubber meets the road. That's being in the image of God, trusting what God says, or doing life your own way. It's a choice that you have to make. It's a choice I have to make every day. So we need to decide if we're going to do that or not. Let's stand and close in prayer. Lord, I want to thank you for this morning, and I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for um, the fact that we can worship you in, in so many different ways, and, and really our lives are a daily opportunity to worship you. If we choose to do life your way, that's what worship is. And so, Lord, as we talked about this, that we have the opportunity to live life your way, live a life of worship. And in that, Lord, to experience not only intimacy within our marriages, and of course, and that would trickle down into our families, but an intimacy with you, a relationship with you, that we don't just know facts about you, but we know you personally as you work in our lives. So Lord, I pray you would uh, remind us of this through the week, that we would make this a daily choice, that we would Truly know who you are. Lord, bless each one as they leave here. Give them a safe trip home. Give them a great week. Help them to represent you well. Give them opportunities to do so. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Thanks for being here. Have a great week. Enjoy the humidity.